Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I just thank you so much for all the blessings that you give to us. Lord, I thank you for your love. We've talked about a lot about your love this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for that. Um, and that your love is a, a perfect example for us to follow. Uh, Lord, I, I ask this morning that as we open your word, that you will help us to, to put aside any other uh, distractions um, so that we can focus on learning and hearing from you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so we are continuing our sermon series. Uh, this is Jesus's mission continues. We're going through the book of Acts to try to figure out, um, uh, we want to learn from the early church to figure out uh, what lessons we can learn from them to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week we've gotten all the way to Acts 14. We're going to get through verses 8 to 20. And we see a lot of people uh, misunderstanding the gospel. Um, and we also get to see three effects of the gospel. Now, this is not a complete list, but this is three effects of the gospel. First is that the gospel brings healing to humanity. The gospel brings glory to God. And the gospel also brings enemies from the world. Again, that's the gospel brings um, healing to humanity, glory to God, and enemies from the world. Um, just like other sermons lately, I'm going to start with a map. And on this map, again, we're tracing Paul's first missionary journey. He started in Antioch, which is this red dot over here. They traveled down to the island of Cyprus and across Cyprus um, over to um, Paphos. And there in Paphos is where they found the um, magician. He was uh, fighting against the gospel. And then they traveled, they left the island, of Papho, or the island of Cyprus, and they traveled back up to the mainland, and they went up to Syrian Antioch, or Pisidian Antioch, and that's up here right above that little lake. Um, and it was at Pisidian Antioch where they went into the synagogue, and they really made some pretty good progress for the gospel. But eventually, some of the Jews who did not believe the gospel, they chased them out of the town. They actually went to the town officials and had them uh, legally chased out of town. So they went over to Iconium. Now at Iconium, this was what we read about last week, where um, Paul went, or yeah, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue, and they presented the gospel. There were many Jews and, and uh, Greeks who believed, but there were still many who did not believe, and they actually attempted to have Paul stoned, and so Paul fled, um, and that's where we are this week. We see that Paul flees to a town, um, a town called Lystra, uh, and as you can see from the map, it's not very far from Iconium. Um, and so that's where we pick up, and it's going to be in verse 8. It says, In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked, and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk. So the first thing we want to look at here is that it says that Paul spoke. Now last week, uh, we, I said that we were starting to see a pattern emerge for Paul's um, attempt to spread the gospel and said that he would first go to the synagogue in a city and then from there he would work out uh, into the Gentile community. But he didn't do that this time. So why, why would he not do that this time? And see, we'll see later on, uh, Paul goes back to Lystra in his second missionary journey. And this is where we first meet Timothy. He picks up Timothy there in Lystra and Timothy had a Jewish mother. So we know that there was at least a small Jewish population in Lystra. But the book of Acts never mentions a synagogue there. And even though, uh, even though Luke mentions the city several times, he never talks about a synagogue there. Also, uh, recent archaeological digs uh, on and around the hill where uh, Lystra was located has uncovered remains of a church. They've uncovered a statue of Zeus and many homes. But they have not uncovered anything that looks like it might have been a synagogue. So, 
what we, can, what we can surmise from that is that there probably wasn't a synagogue there in this town. So Paul had to adapt. He had to change his strategy a little bit. That's why he didn't go first to the synagogue, because there wasn't one there to go to. Um, and then verse 9. Verse 9 says, Paul was looking directly at him. Paul was look, uh, looking directly at him. And see, so we saw something similar to this when Paul and Barnabas were on the island of Cyprus. Um, in uh, 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 9, it says, But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas. Remember, Elymas' other name was Bar-Jesus, so son of Jesus, son of God's salvation. But here was Bar-Jesus, who was pushing people away from the gospel. And so Paul looks directly at him and says, You are a son of the devil. So this looking directly at somebody, I think there's a little more to it than that. We also see another similarity, uh, and this is with Peter in chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it starts with, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John uh, about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. So again, we see this um, one of the apostles looking at somebody else. Again, I think there's a little more to it. Maybe even more interestingly, we see Jesus doing something similar. In Mark chapter 10, uh, it says, As he was walking, or as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Uh, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, sorry. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by, the, by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So what we are seeing here in Acts is Paul's surrender to the Holy Spirit. He is allowing God to give him discernment. We saw it on Cyprus. We saw it in Peter. And we see it in Jesus. They are allowing God to guide their vision, to guide their understanding, to help them to understand. Now with Jesus, he didn't have to allow God to do it because he is God. But with us, we have to surrender to the Holy Spirit for that um, that discernment. So discernment, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a, a weird word, but discernment is where we are allowing God to show us right from wrong, or allowing God to show us holy from unholy, or allowing God to show us the right direction from the wrong direction, or allowing God to give us a deeper spiritual understanding of a situation. I think that's probably the best way to define it. Discernment is allowing God to give you a deeper understanding of the situation. And usually when we talk about discernment, it's through vision, through seeing. And so when it says that Paul looked at him, or looking directly at him, when it said that Peter looked at him, or when Jesus was looking at him, this is what it's talking about, uh, having that deeper spiritual understanding. 
See, it's like what uh, Brandon Heath asks for in the song, Give Me Your Eyes. Brandon Heath says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the once forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. This is what he's talking about, that discernment, the understanding through the Holy Spirit. All right. Now let's talk about, because it wasn't, this passage is not just about Paul. It's about a man. This man was from Lystra, and he had never been able to walk. He was born, uh, the scripture says he was born lame. So he had feet to use, but no use from them. His feet were not able to be used. So verse 9 tells us two more interesting things about this man. It says that he listened as Paul spoke, and he had faith to be healed. I'm going to say that again. That's, That's important. He listened as Paul spoke, and he had faith to be healed. Now, this miracle bears a very strong resemblance to the miracle that I was talking about earlier in chapter 3 with Peter. Um, It says that both men were lame from birth, both men were looked upon by the apostles, and both men jumped up and started to walk around. And also, those witnesses around were amazed. In chapter 3, that man uh, jumped up, and it says that he leapt and, and went into the temple, and everybody there was amazed. And with this man, what we're going to see in a little bit is that those around him are amazed as well. He jumps up and he walks around and people are amazed. And see, after Paul calls out to him, verse 10 tells us that he jumped up and began to walk around. Now we have to remember that physical healings in the book of Acts, physical healings give us a picture of the gospel. It gives us a picture of spiritual healing that is available through the gospel. See, we're all sinners. And because of that sin, we are separated from God. And therefore, we are spiritually dead. We are all spiritually dead. See, much like our loved ones who are in their graves, who can't do anything to bring themselves back to life, we can't do anything to take ourselves out of spiritual death. But Jesus came, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And we learned a new word in Sunday school this morning. It's called propitiation. That Jesus came and paid that penalty for our sins so that our relationship with God could be reconciled. And through that uh, Through that sacrifice, through faith in that sacrifice, we are brought to spiritual life. See, this picture of healing that we see here, there was nothing this man could do to fix his legs. But through the gospel, he was healed physically. This is a picture of what can happen to us spiritually. Because of our sin, we are spiritually dead. And when we believe in Jesus, we are brought to spiritual life. See, just like this man's healing, our healing from spiritual death is miraculous and complete. So if you're still looking for that spiritual healing, for salvation, for reconciliation, do as this Lystran man did. Listen to the gospel and have faith to be healed. So let's review. First we saw what we just read is that the gospel brings healing to humanity. And what we're about to see is that the gospel brings uh, glory to God. We're going to pick up in verse 11. It says, when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. All right, side note. Since they're shouting in the Lycaonian language, uh, this is probably not a group of Romans, probably not a group of Jews, but probably natives to that area, native Lycaonians. Uh, Verse 12 says, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. 
The apostles, Barnabas and Paul, tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, people, why are you doing these things? My clicker's a little slow. It says, people, why are you doing these things? We are people also, just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. So again, we look back, just a little uh, side note. Uh, verse 13 said that there was a temple to Zeus just outside the town. Now, if you remember last week, I said that a lot of the Roman towns had different pagan temples in the town or near the town that influenced how the Gentiles in that area believed. They influenced the beliefs in that area. And that's exactly what's happening here. See, the Gentiles there, they believed in Zeus. They had this temple to Zeus, and they understood the religion from Zeus. And so as Paul and Barnabas come, they think that it's Zeus and Zeus's messenger, Hermes. That makes sense. But they come out and they start trying to sacrifice to them, thinking that they are gods, and Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 we can't do that. He says that they came and they were proclaiming good news. And see, now this, right now we have, um, it's actually four words, proclaiming good news to in English, that's four words. In Greek, that's all one word. And it's, uh, the root word for that is the same root that we get our word for gospel. Good news. You know, it's like, uh, so this word here is like the gospel in verb form. If the gospel is good news, then the word that's used here is telling that good news. Right? News is something that needs to be told. So good news, telling that good news, is the word that's here. Uh, the word that we see here. See, we have a word for that in English. Even though it's broken down into four words here, we have a word for that in English. It's called evangelizing. That's telling the good news. So what is this good news? It is that the living God, as Paul said, the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them can be known. He's contrasting God. He's contrasting the God of the Bible with Zeus. He's saying that the living God He's saying that Zeus isn't living. Zeus isn't real. He can't be living. He's saying that the living God who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You see, the, as far as I know, Roman mythology did not, uh, didn't give creation to Zeus. They, they didn't have an understanding of how creation came to be. That was a big question mark. And so here we see uh, Paul is giving them that answer to it. He says, God, the God who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, he can be known. And see, a lot of times the, the pagan worship of different gods, the worship of Zeus, was an attempt to try to figure out what it was the gods wanted them to do so that they, they could make the gods happy. They could appease the gods somehow. But they never really knew what was going on. They never really knew what the gods were doing. They never really knew the character of the gods. They could guess. Well, Obviously, they never knew the character of the gods because these gods weren't real. And Paul is saying that this God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is real, and he created everything, and you can know him. He says, even though God did not reveal himself clearly to you in the past, he has still provided for you. Even though he didn't send his sons for you to see him, and sorry, even though he didn't send his son for you to see him, he still provided for you. Even though he didn't, you didn't have his word from the Old Testament, 
he still provided, um, he still provided for you. He gave you rain. He gave you fruitful seasons. He gave you food and he gave you joy. This is how we can know that this God is real because he blesses all of humanity and all of humanity knows that there is something else out there, something greater than us, something bigger than us that's controlling the world, something that is giving us these blessings. Without the Bible, we don't know who that is. We guess. We come up with these grand fantasies like the Roman pagan system. But without the Bible, it's hard for us to know exactly who God is. Without the Bible, without God's clear revelation of himself through his word, we cannot know who he is. So that's why it's important for us to use the Bible to share God. You see, Paul here in this this passage I keep going back to where he says, the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Paul is quoting Psalm uh, 146, 6. He says uh, in that passage, this is David, says, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, he remains faithful forever. So Paul is going back to his understanding of the Bible. He's going back to his understanding of the Old Testament to talk about who God is. See, God has revealed himself to us in in his word. If we want to know him, we search his word. When we talk about him to others, we use his word to talk about him to others. Because when we start making up our own stories about God, they're not true. When we start making up our own stories about God, they're not going to reflect his true character. Now, we can also talk about what God has done in our lives. Again, we're not making up those stories. We're talking about God's God's faithfulness in our life. We tell it as good news because the gospel is good news, because God loves us. That is good news. See, many people still go through life struggling to find any worth or any value or any guidance. See, they can't seem to find the real meaning or value in their life. You may not be finding, you may, not, you, you may still be struggling to find that value or meaning in your life. So if you are one of those people, let me introduce you to the one who gives you meaning. The one who valued you so much that he would come and die on a cross for you. His name is Jesus. He is God and he loves you. He loves you because he created you in his image. And because you were created in his image, you have value. You have worth. And even though we have sinned against him, He paid the penalty for our sin so that our relationship with him could be reconciled. And see, he wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. If you would just put your faith in him, he will provide your worth, your value, and the meaning in your life. But it's also important to note here that Paul and Barnabas would not let the crowds worship them. They would not accept worship from them. You see, it's kind of like the opposite. I'm, I might lose a couple of y'all in this one. But it's kind of the opposite of Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. See, when the rebels land on the, the, the forest moon Endor, the Ewoks find C-3PO, right? And they take him and they start to worship him as a god. See, initially, C-3PO doesn't want to accept that worship. But eventually, the group takes the worship of C-3PO and uses it to their advantage. They manipulate the Ewoks because they're willing to worship this false idol of C-3PO. And see, we saw in chapter 12 that God doesn't take lightly to those who accept worship. That worship is due only to God. And he, rightfully so, does not want to share that worship. He doesn't want that worship stolen. That didn't end too well for Herod. Remember, King Herod was eaten by worms and died. That didn't end too well for him. See, Paul and Barnabas, they had the right view of God. And they were not willing to accept that worship. 
And that's easy for us when we understand that we are sinful, that we are broken people, and God is holy, and He is righteous, and He loves us anyway, even though we are sinful. He still loves us. It's easy for us to say, no, you don't worship me. I'm broken. I'm, I'm just like you. I have all kinds of problems. But let me, t- let me introduce you to somebody who's not broken. Let me introduce you to somebody who is perfect. Let me introduce you to somebody who helps me, who, who helps to grow me to become more like him. Right? We don't accept that worship. We give the worship back to God. We point that worship back to God. See, the message that Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming was misunderstood, but they made sure to explain it again. There are times when we'll be out sharing the gospel and people don't understand what we're saying. They might misunderstand what we're saying and take it as something else. But we have to make sure that we're doing our best to, uh, to teach the gospel clearly so that people can understand. And this is why, going back to the importance of having that ongoing relationship with somebody, as we have that relationship with somebody, even if they misunderstand what we said, hopefully we'll get the opportunity again later to explain it again. We have that ongoing relationship with them so that we can continue to help them to have a better understanding of the gospel. Now, we can turn that around. We have that ongoing relationship with people so that they can help us to have a, a, a better understanding of how the gospel affects our lives. You see, these relationships are not you know, beneficial to only one side. You know, we're, not, we're not the sage pouring into their life what the gospel is. You know, like I said earlier, we're all broken. We can all learn how the gospel affects us. As I've said many times before, as a Christian, we can never outgrow our need to depend on the gospel and our need to learn from the gospel and our need to learn how it affects our lives. We are continually surrendering more and more. And see, I find it unlikely that anyone would worship any of us. But then again, you know, I wonder, you got a lot of these mega churches out there. I wonder how many people are going to those mega churches to worship Jesus. Or they might be going to worship Jesus whatever big name pastor it is, you know? So even if we're trying, uh, sorry, even if we're not trying to gather our own worshipers, we must ensure that our motivation for sharing the gospel is pure, right? Let me give you a couple of examples of wrong motivation to share the gospel. A wrong motivation for sharing the gospel would be to appease your pastor. I know I've talked about it a lot, and I do want you to be out sharing the gospel, but I don't want you to do it because I'm asking you to do it. A wrong motivation would be to appease your pastor. A wrong motivation for sharing the gospel would be to impress yourself or to impress your friends or those around you. A wrong motivation to share the gospel is to try to impress God. Say, look what I'm doing, God. See how much good I'm doing for you? Don't you love me more now because of that? You try to earn God's favor by sharing his word, by sharing the gospel. That's a wrong motivation. We can't earn God's favor. God has given that to us. We just accept it. God has given us his righteousness. We just accept it. We can't earn it. So let me give you the right motivation for sharing the gospel. The right motivation for sharing the gospel. We share the gospel as an act of worship toward God in response to his love and in obedience to his will for our life. We share the gospel because he loves us. We share the gospel because he tells us to. We share the gospel to worship God. Again, let me review. The first point was that the gospel brings healing to humanity. The second point is that the gospel brings glory to God. And finally, we see that the gospel brings enemies from the world. So we pick up in verse 19. It says, Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won over the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. That seems a little odd. 
These people just tried to kill him, and he's going right back into town. And the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derbe. So it says that there were Jews who came from Antioch and Iconium. Now, these two cities are Paul's previous two stops on his journey. So apparently, the Jews weren't quite done with him because they chased him into this next town. They chased him out of the previous town. They tried to kill him in the next town, and now they've chased him into this town. But this time, they succeed in having him stoned. Well, I say succeed because the purpose of having somebody stoned was to kill them. So they had him stoned, but I guess it wasn't successful because he, did, he was not killed. He lived. And see, I'm going to reiterate this again because it is important. And it's easy to forget that sharing the gospel is spiritual warfare. The devil won't let us fight the spiritual warfare without an opponent. You know, we've set a goal th- this year. I've said it. We've set a goal this year for 200 gospel conversations in the year of 2018. And I don't expect that the devil is just going to sit by idly and let us go for it. You know, Jesus warns, of, warns us of this in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. See, but like I've been saying for a couple of weeks, we don't fight this spiritual warfare physically or mentally or philosophically. We fight spiritual warfare spiritually by being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That's one of those things that, you know, as Baptists, we kind of look at that and say, okay, that sounds good. Uh, we, don't, we don't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. You know, it's kind of like the, you know, we put him in, in the, the corner over here, like the weird uncle at um, Thanksgiving dinner. You know, you're worried what he might say. You're worried what he might do because he's kind of unpredictable. So as Southern Baptists, we kind of stuff the Holy Spirit over in the corner. That's not right. I, I think as a denomination, we have to recognize that, that that's not right, that what, how we've treated the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God just like the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God just like Jesus is God. He is God. Right? And so we have to recognize that. We, re- we surrender to the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, we seek his wisdom on how to handle these attacks. We pray for peace and comfort when we are under attack. And we don't give up our hope in Jesus. We don't give up our hope in Jesus. And you see, this hope is not a hope that the world knows. You know, I, along with many other people, almost everybody that I know, I hope that the Patriots are going to lose later today. I hope that the Eagles are going to win later today. But that's not the hope that we see in the Bible. You know, I hope that the Green Bay Packers will have a better season next year. Again, it's not the same type of hope that we see in the Bible. When we say, or when I say that our hope is in Jesus, this means that we know how the story ends. We know that the king is returning to completely destroy his enemy. We know that the war is already won. That's what our hope is. You know, it's, it's kind of like re-watching The Lion King. That's one of my favorite movies growing up. You know, after Mufasa dies and Simba leaves the Pride Lands, the Pride Lands are ruled by Scar and his, his little warriors, the hyenas. So, but if you already know the end of the movie, you have a sure hope for these fictional Pride Lands. Right? You know that the rightful king is going to come back and he's going to defeat his enemy and that the Pride Lands are going to be restored. 
right? As you're re-watching that movie, you know how it ends. You don't have to worry about Sarabi when she's walking up to Scar and he's threatening her. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about all the other lions or all the other animals there on the Pride Lands because you know that their enemy is going to be defeated. They, you know that their king is coming back to restore the Pride Lands. That's the same type of hope that we have in Jesus. But instead of it being about a fictional Pride Lands, we know that the king is coming back to restore his Pride Lands. And his Pride Lands is all of his creation. That's everything. As Paul said earlier, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. We know that Jesus is coming back to restore those pride lands, to restore us to a right relationship with him. So we get to our application this week. So what lessons can we learn from this passage to fulfill our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ? And first is knowing. Know that enemies will come. As we continue to share the gospel and to increase our efforts to impact our community with the gospel, we must remember that this puts us on the front lines of spiritual warfare. So knowing that the, the attacks are going to come is a good thing. You know, we, a lot of um, warfare is done on surprise attacks. And those surprise attacks are effective because they are a surprise. And if we are not expecting that spiritual warfare and we get attacked, it's a surprise attack. But it shouldn't be because we are warned time after time after time that those attacks are going to come. And if you are prepared for them, it, it's not going to hurt as bad. I'm not going to say it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt as bad. You know, it's kind of like um, checking a kick in an MMA fight. You know, a lot of times in an MMA fight, mixed martial arts, you know, one of the most devastating kicks that happens is right here, right to the inner thigh. That's a painful kick. And after repeated, uh, repeated kicks to that area, your leg can just die, like just done. Right? It hits that femoral artery, and that, that affects your blood flow. It's a very painful kick. And so how do you defend against that kick? Well, what you do is you lift your leg. And so they kick you in the shin. Well, that still hurts. It, but it hurts less than being kicked in the femoral artery. You lift up your, your leg and they kick you in the shin, and it hurts them a little bit too. So being prepared for those spiritual attacks is kind of like that. You can, you can be pre prepared for it, and you can defend against it. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt. It'll just hurt less. Or like in a boxing match, right? When you know somebody's about to throw a punch at your head, you're going to block it, right? When you block that punch, they're still going to hit you in the arm, and it's still going to hurt a little bit, but it's not going to, be, not going to cause nearly as much damage as if they were to hit you right in the jaw, you know? The second application point is being, and that's being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Pray that uh, God will guide you through the day. Pray that God will guide you through the day. Pray that God will give you discernment in spiritual situations or in differing situations. Pray that God will protect you in the spiritual warfare. So listen to the answers that he gives you. That's the hard part. We can pray. We can talk to God all day long. The hard part is listening to him. Listen to the answers that he gives you. Be open to listen to his direction throughout the day and follow that direction throughout the day. Finally, doing. The doing part of this application is to give the glory to God. As you are sharing the gospel, give the glory to God. When you give your testimony, give the glory to God. And as you live your life, give, your glory, give the glory to God. Now, our response is going to be a little bit different today. We're still going to have our time of response where you can come to the front and pray, or you can come pray with me, or you can pray where you're seated, but it's going to be a little bit different, right? So much like this lame man that we read about, the Lycaonian man that we read about, I'm going to ask you, did you hear the gospel this morning? Do you have faith in its message, and will you stand in response to it? So please stand as we have our altar call.